This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. We've had a pretty good series here. I just, I think our team's gotten better every single game, and that's what I like. So if we keep limiting the chances they get, and, and we just got to keep going. So you, you can't hang your head on these. You, you just got to turn the page and go to the next one. The playoffs are a big damn roller coaster. You can't get too excited when you're high. You can't get too low when it's low. And you just got to keep trusting your process. And our guys have done a hell of a job doing that. And expect they'll do it again. You know, I, I love the the ability of the Lightning to bounce back when they've they've lost. It always doesn't translate into a win. But after last night, you heard the players in the locker room and John Cooper right there. There's no panic setting, not that there should be, but I, you know, I think a lot of people sometimes when there is a loss, especially on home ice, you know, they overreact a little bit. I mean, we're going to get into this for the next hour. Dave Michigan, I am Greg Linnelli, Steve Ersnick producing. I thought the Lightning played a pretty good game. You can play well and still lose. And we talked, boy, Dave, for the first 30, 45 minutes maybe of yesterday's show talking about Peter Morazic and what type of performance would we see. And, you know, I had said, look, he could come in and, and give up five or he could come in and play really well. He ended up playing really well. And I don't know if that's the reason Carolina won. I think offensively things opened up a bit more in this game and maybe that's what needed to happen. Their big guns ended up having a, a nice night, but John Cooper was asked, was that your best performance? I think it was Dan Rosen, even in a loss. And, and Coop kind of had a little bit of a, a word salad moving around different places, talking about different things. But I understand the question Dan was trying to ask. I thought it was a pretty good game for both teams. And Carolina just ended up making one more play at the end there with Jordan Stahl on the deflection. Yeah, so, so broad strokes, like game one and game two, this was extremely close. It could have gone either way, just like game one and game two. Unlike game one and game two, this game had way more scoring chances. So again, teeing up yesterday's show or circling back to yesterday's show, we speculated like, would this be a game in which the team defenses continued to smother and suffocate the dynamic offenses? And the answer is no. (laughs) The dynamic offenses had a pretty good day. And I know that, like, Carolina didn't have as many scoring chances as the Lightning, and we'll get into that. But they had more, I think, in Game 3 than they had in either Game 1 or Game 2. And I think the teams combined for more scoring chances last night than they had in Game 1 and Game 2 combined. So we saw last night what these teams can do in terms of making plays. And I don't know if that's going to continue, but but that was definitely the case last night. So if that is the case, then it comes down to which goalies are able to erase more scoring chances. And the Lightning had more scoring chances than Carolina last night. And Peter Morozik was able to erase them. He made 35 saves. He was terrific. These were not easy saves he was making. Of the 35 saves he made, a high volume of them were from the hash marks in. There were a lot of scramble plays around his net. He had to really battle to hang in there because the Lightning were getting sometimes maybe not clean second and third chances, but definitely he was making some saves consecutively one right after the other. And so Morozik 
had a great game. There's no two ways about it. And, and he was, among some other things, one of the biggest reasons why Carolina was able to win the game. The power plays in overtime, you know, I've heard some, some differing comments about this. It was clear Kucherov wasn't happy with the penalty called on him. It was clear that Kalorn was not happy with the penalty called on Kucherov. When the Hurricanes scored, he immediately turned and, and barked at the referee. But, you know, Carolina was not happy with the penalty called on Dougie Hamilton at yeah. the end of the third period. Surprised that was with, called. With about sure. a minute left in the third period. And the Lightning could have won that game on the power play. Morozik made three saves, two at the end of regulation on Kucherov and Hedman, and then one early in overtime on Braden Point to keep his team alive. So the Lightning had their chance in the power play. They didn't score. Carolina got its opportunity in the power play and did score. And and certainly you could look at that and say that was the difference in the game. But I guess today, like I want to look at the game, Greg, and and like why some of this stuff happened. But I also think that while I'm not ready yet to say this is going to be a trend line, but I'm putting a pin in it and I'm I'm kind of sending up a trial balloon today about what we're going to see moving forward in the series. Because I, I think despite the outcome, you're right. The Lightning did play really well. And while we don't know if everything we saw last night is going to continue in the series, I think we're seeing some signs that the Lightning may be able to continue in this regard. And, and we can get into that. But... Look, the Lightning did well to get inside on Carolina. There's no question about it. Points line went head-to-head with Ajo's line. That was a really interesting matchup because Ajo, Teravainen, and Sveshnikov, that was the other change that Rod Brindamore made. In addition to switching the goalies, he he put Sveshnikov with Ajo and Teravainen. It's not like the first time these three guys have played together. Sveshnikov has been with those guys a lot since he joined the NHL, right. but Brindamore sometimes moves him to a different line because he's looking for a different look on his top line with Ajo and Teravina and Brock McGinn sometimes is there, who's a little bit more of a meat and potatoes type of player. The Svechnikov Ajo Teravina line was plus two. They were out on the ice for for both of the even strength goals scored by Carolina. And they were extremely dynamic. I'll say throughout the game, but especially I would say in like the first 30 minutes, going head-to-head against points line. But I really felt in the in the second half of the second period and into the third, and you want to say in overtime as well, we saw the best that we have seen so far from points line. And much of that happened going head-to-head against Ajo's line. And we don't, this is one of the trend lines. But let's see if this continues. Point, Kucherov and Palat combined for 15 shots on net. Some of that came in the power play, but a lot of it was even strength. They were a handful for Carolina. It's the first time in the series we've seen the point line turn Carolina inside out. And I know you and Brian talked afterward. Kucherov had <laughs> had an everything kind of game. like mm-hmm. He was involved all over the place. But I think there was a lot more positive from Kucherov than not. He took the two penalties. He was out on the ice for the two even strength goals against, but two dazzling assists on the power play and easily, easily could have had more than two points. 
So I'm curious to see if that continues. And then I'll just throw out the other couple of trend lines that I'm curious about moving forward. It's now Carolina's turn to make an adjustment on their penalty kill. Yes. The Lightning figured out in last night's game, I don't want to say figured out, they knew how to do it, but they executed it. They were much better at entering the zone, and their quick puck movement completely broke down the Carolina penalty kill. Lightning could have gone three for three in the power play and won the game as a result. Carolina had major, major problems on their penalty kill last night. So what are you going to do if you're Rod Brindamore? Because if they're going to be facing a power play that looked like the Lightning's power play looked last night moving forward in the series, that's a big, big problem for Carolina. Now, maybe the Lightning aren't going to execute quite as well as they did moving forward in the series. But you almost feel like the Lightning had a couple of games to kind of get their reps in on the power play. And last night, they kind of flexed their muscle on the power play. So that's another trend line that I'm curious about moving forward. And then the last one is the attrition factor for Carolina. No need a rider. Tro checks out. Warren Fogle goes down last night. Now, is it possible that Fogle and Trocek could come back for game four tomorrow? It's possible. We don't know that. But those are significant losses for Carolina out of their lineup. And I thought Jordan Stahl was really effective last night. He he definitely had some good looks. The Ajo line was spectacular for Carolina. And they got some activity from their defense. Pesci made a great shot on his goal. I think Jake Bean had three shots. You had talked about Dougie Hamilton. He had three shots. But if you think about it, Greg, like outside of the Ajo line and Stahl, like Carolina didn't get as much of a sustained attack up and down their lineup as the Lightning did, in my opinion. Natchez was fairly quiet. McGinn was fairly quiet. Looking at their lineup, Geeky actually had a couple of pretty good looks on the fourth line. Lorenz was fairly quiet. It was basically their first line. That's that's kind of what I'm saying. And it was stall. It's a stall. Yeah. So how much of that is, you know, you're pulling Trocek out. You're pulling Niederreiter Mm -hmm. out. He's been out all series. But then you take Fogel out for the third period. And the Lightning had a really, really good third period. Really good. First 10 minutes, they were all over Carolina. Second half of the third period was more even. So anyway, th- those are some of my those are some of my thoughts to start both about the game last night. Way more wide open, more scoring chances. Morozik was was very important to Carolina's success. Ajo's line was really good, but so was Point's line. And then, kind of moving forward in the series, is this going to be a launch pad point for Point's line? It's not easy to say. The Lightning's power play, what's going to happen moving forward in the series, and what will what will Carolina do in terms of the hits they've taken to some of their main guys, particularly up front? Let's throw another layer to those questions maybe that we have when it comes to Carolina, and then we can circle back to Tampa Bay a little bit. We had talked about this series in terms of attrition. You kind of hinted at that. And what I mean by this is, does Carolina feel the cumulative effect from the previous series of playing all those overtime games? Now, some were longer than others. Yeah. But does that have a f- 
Does that factor into this series the longer it goes? Brian mentioned this. I, I don't even think he said it on the air. We were talking about it off the air, and he was like, boy, this Carolina team, you can tell how in shape they are. And you know that may, may seem weird to say because you're like, oh, hockey players are always in shape, but just the way they play, and kind of like the lighting. You're up and down, up and down, and it's a, a really tenacious style of, of play. Yes. And he's like, I'm curious to see if they do that, if they can keep this pace up, in a seven game series. And then I said, well, yeah, I mean, especially because they had what four overtime games in their first round series. They get one last night at Amley. Granted, it didn't last long. Yeah. And but two of the four against Nashville were pretty early. quick. Two didn't <laughs> Two yeah. were double overtime. And maybe this gets back to Brenda Moore's thinking with being fresh in nets because Nadelkovich was that guy. And, and right. maybe he felt like some of those saves that Morazic could potentially have uh, would be because, in part, he was a little fresher than Nedeljkovic. Whatever, whatever the thinking was behind it, I am curious to see, especially with the, the way the regular season shaped up this year, Dave. It was just an odd schedule. A lot of players talked about, even the coaches, that there were a lot of games in a, in a short amount of time, and it beats up your body. Now you factor in the most intense time of the year. Does that have an effect on Carolina as this series progresses i think it's something to keep an eye on but certainly the more overtime games that are going to be played if that's the case you wonder if that is an advantage for tampa bay assuming that they can take advantage of it so we'll see how that plays out uh, for it, what it's worth yeah and, and at the beginning of the series i didn't think the four overtime games in a row for carolina would have an effect in this round if they got past the lightning maybe later because you have that cumulative effect. Yeah. But for what it's worth, the Lightning did not have to deal with the same ferocity of the forecheck of Carolina in the third period. Now, I don't know if that was score effects. It was 2-2 Carolina. Carolina's not a team that ever sits back. But I didn't think their forecheck was as aggressive as it was at other points in the game. Like at the start of the game, they were absolutely buzzing. Like they came out of the gates like the horses coming out of the... <laughs> the blocks at the Kentucky mm -hmm. Derby. I mean, that was with no with no performance enhancing drugs. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and they also had right. other pushes in the game. They had a strong start to the second, and then after Kalorn's goal tied it at two. I thought Carolina really put on a lot of pressure toward the end of the second period, which you know that's that's well into the game. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that they had as much success on the forecheck. They didn't just look as dangerous on the four check in the third period. Now, maybe that was a function of it's 2-2 and we're down 0-2 in the series and we want to we want to dial it back a little bit and maybe wait for counters, but that is very unusual for Carolina to play that way. So I, I agree with you. Let's see, let's see if their four check looks as good as it did at the start of game three moving forward in the series. The other thing that I remember, and, and look, this is the regular season, so you can take it for what it's worth, but when the teams played four games in a row, remember that? <laughs> they played four games in a row against one another, two in Raleigh and two at Amelie. And for the Lightning, it was four games and six nights. For Carolina, it was five games and seven nights because they had played the night before. There were some rescheduled games in there. That's why they had that schedule. And the final game of the four was a McElhenney steal for the Lightning in Amelie Arena. And I remember being so impressed with how much jump Carolina had playing 
game five and seven nights, which goes to what Brian said, that they are an extremely well-conditioned team. So I remember that, but I'm also acknowledging that playoff hockey is different. It's a harder game. And they've played a lot of hockey. More than five games in seven nights when you factor in all the overtimes. I would agree with that. That's why the Stanley Cup is is a marathon. I mean, to, to win the Stanley Cup, to go through two months of the playoffs is is a mental and physical grind. It is. It's the hardest one to win out of all the championships, in my humble opinion. I'm sure yours as well, Dave. And it's a it's a team effort for sure. And I, let, let's circle back a little bit to the Lightning and why we think maybe they could be pushing play a bit more. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Dave, but certainly – open it up a, a little bit, or maybe just getting more chances than what we saw in games one and two, that maybe game three is something that they can build on and maybe that they found that they can exploit perhaps throughout the next few games. I thought what was very encouraging last time, I mean, Lightning didn't have a great start to the game. And when we talked about that, the puck was rolling off their sticks and yeah. passes weren't great. It, it took them a little bit to find their flow and, and get things going. And you know what? They weren't great on the face-offs. They what, won three face-offs in the first period. Yeah, they had, I mean, a, it tough, was, they had a tough first period. They it had was a really basically tough even after the first period. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it wasn't the greatest first period, but you come out of that and you're thinking, all right, you know, you, you put that one behind you. It's it's 0-0. Zero, zero. They come back, they get a couple of goals. We talked about the Pesci goal. That was a tremendous shot. Coleman, I'm not sure exactly what he was doing. I don't think anybody asked him after the game, so maybe we won't know, and who knows if that will ever be addressed. He must Ajo. have been afraid that if he touched the puck, it would have been too many men on the ice. It had to have and been. And look, it, the game flies by at yeah, a mile a minute. for sure. I mean, that can sure. happen, right? I just, I would have liked to have known, but you're right. I mean, that's easy for us to sit, a, sit up there and, and say, well, what are you doing? But... There's no question Blake Coleman, who's a smart player, most likely thought if he touched the puck, there might have been a penalty called um, on some level. Be that as it may, the the Canes get a great goal from Ajo with a tremendous pass by Teravine. And in fact, you could hear John Cooper in his postgame press conference, Dave, almost say, I mean, you know, that was a heck of a pass. I'm not sure how many times that's going to be completed. <laughs> I mean, Tara Vinen, that's a that's a touch pass yeah. with some distance on the money, on the tape. And Ajo, it's a breakaway. He's an elite player for them. It's 2 nothing. But if you remember after that goal, Dave, I believe it was the point line that came out and drew the penalty. Yeah. If I if, So you always talk about the, the important shift after a goal. What do you do with it? Well, the Lightning get on the power play. Yeah. And then they work their magic, and they get a couple of goals. But I thought it was down. They were only down two goals for quick math here, a minute, 17 seconds. Yeah, it wasn't long. I mean, that was a tremendous response by the Lightning. That's very encouraging. And Brayden Point started it with his speed. And I I felt like Point had a lot of jump last night. I know it didn't maybe translate into um, a huge, huge night. I mean, he still had a very good night. But I mean, I I felt like he he was flying. And... He gets the power play goal to make it 2-1. Kalorn, uh right in front of the net, makes it 2-2. I thought the the third, excuse me, the second line for the Lightning was very good. The yeah. Sorelli line. You know, Stamkos had that one-timer. Was it an overtime where you felt yeah, like... just missed. Uh, it was right after the power play ended, but yes. the Lightning held the puck in the offensive zone. Yep. 
I thought he had a couple of really good looks. I thought Sorelli. It might have been one of his better games these playoffs. I felt like he was just hard on pucks, Dave, as you and Phil like to talk about during the broadcast. I felt like Kalorn. I mean, I think you can make the argument. He might be their most consistent forward right now in the playoffs. I mean, he's doing a lot of really good things, and he's he's producing, mm-hmm. which has been tremendous. But I, th- I thought it was very encouraging to see the Lightning's response in the second and then to see the second line have the game they did because we felt like the first line had some, had some moments there uh, in this game. And so I think that's one of the reasons why maybe things may be coming together a bit for the big guns, for the Lightning, and, and maybe trying to, to generate more offense in games four or five, and, and we'll see if it goes beyond that. They were committed last night to getting pucks and bodies to the front of the net. We saw it from the defense. How many times did Jan Ruda go behind the net and try and curl around? Chernak does that a lot, and he did it again last night. There were other instances, I think Sorelli did it, where he takes it behind the net and tries to to step in front, almost like a wraparound, but almost stepping in front for, for a chance. And you mentioned the second line. The Lightning, with that second line of Stamkos, Kalorn, and Sorelli, they had a lot of those scramble plays around the net, I feel where they're whacking away. Carolina's almost in panic mode because, like, where's the puck? Can Morozik find it? We need to get this thing away from a dangerous area. The reason why the Lightning were able to generate so many scoring chances is at least one of the reasons why. They were successful at getting pucks to dangerous areas. wasn't always, like, a clean look, but they willed their way there. So I think when John Cooper says, I loved our compete tonight, that's part of it. Like they were consistently winning puck battles, maybe after that beginning stretch in the first period and other points in the game when Carolina did surge, like I mentioned, the closing minutes of the second was a really strong segment for the Hurricanes. But the Lightning were fairly consistent at being very direct about getting pucks to the front of the net. And that worked to their advantage to generate shots and scoring yeah. chances. And I don't think it was only the Sorelli line. I mentioned the 15 shots from the the Point Kucherov Palat line. Now, some of those, like I said, were on the power play, but they did a lot of good things five on five, especially in the second half of the right. game. But you think about the the Coleman Gord Goodrow line. Like they had activity around the net. And Ross Colton almost scored in the third period. Mm-hmm. Had a great chance from right in front on one of those same types of plays where they got the puck below the hash marks with traffic. Colton and Johnson were both there. Morozik made a couple of really good saves on those guys. So I'm not sure that we can say this, certainly not throughout the playoffs, because we were talking about in round one, like you made the point, the Lightning are they a three-line team until Goodrow comes back. Last night, they were a full four-line team, and Carolina rolled four lines. But I'm not sure that Carolina was as dangerous up and down their forward lineup as the Lightning, especially once we got into the game. I think the the early part of the game, Carolina definitely was buzzing, but the the Hurricanes lost some of that as the game progressed. And we didn't see much of it at all no. into the third period, and, and overtime didn't last very long. But you know what I mean. That yeah, for sure. They, for sure. they, they looked... They looked like a different sort of team in the second half of the game as opposed to the first half of the game. And some of that was the Lightning had more puck possession, but I think some of it too was that 
the Lightning had had more consistent pressure applied up and down their lineup than Carolina was able to produce. Yeah, I think that's a good point by you because it felt like with the eye test, without looking at the stats and what they would they would show, that the Lightning had more possession time in general in this game, but certainly towards the latter part of the game, Dave, or maybe midway through, it did feel like they had the puck. And I think that's one of the reasons why Carolina obviously had problems or not as many great scoring looks. I mean, they just, we've talked about this before, Tampa Bay can defend really well at times, and we've seen that in this series. But I, I still believe that their best defense is when they have the puck and I felt like yeah they tilted the ice in their favor midway through this game and it's one way to keep Carolina's star forwards from really having a big big game and let's face it too coming into this game I think we had talked about it I mean Aho, Svechnikov those guys needed to get going and you know Rod Brindamore to his credit listen he made a couple of moves last night that you can make the argument directly impacted the game in a very positive way, switching up the lines and trying to make Svechnikov a better player or more noticeable. That happened. He yeah, was very but dangerous. Svechnikov, I, I'm not surprised he did that because Svechnikov probably has been their most dangerous forward throughout the series. That's a, that's a fair point. I felt like game three, he was more dangerous. Maybe that's a better way to put it. I Because I, uh, he was playing with Holland well, and And that's the point. He, I was, think he was their most dangerous player offensively in game two, though. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. That's fair. For me, for whatever reason, last night stood out more. And if it, I'm, obviously it was because he was playing with Ajo, but if that's the case, so be it. That's what you want to see from him. Because every time he's played the Lightning, to your point, he's been really, really good. And I didn't realize that Brian was saying on the on the broadcast, I guess sometimes he has a tendency to pout yes, when he's he not playing in the top six. He doesn't like not being in the top six. I've heard that He too. gets the boo-boo face. Yeah. But that's okay. Um, and then obviously Peter Morazic in Nets. Now, there was one other change that Brindamore made, and, yeah. and this is an interesting one. And I wonder if this is a function of not having the last change. And And it probably worked pretty well. I mean, they won the game. Yes. And, you know, the Lightning didn't shy away from points line going up against Ajo's line, even though the Lightning had last change. But what Brindamore did was his third pair defensemen in, in, in the first two games were Hawk and Paw and Bean. And then, of course, he had Slavin Hamilton. Mm -hmm. That's their number one pair, even though we've talked about Hamilton's reputation as being not a great defensive defenseman. Slavin is, and so yes. Slavin sees a lot of the, the main assignments. And then you had Pesci and, and Shea. And so what Brindamore did is he basically swapped Bean and Shea. So Bean was playing with Pesci, who was probably their second best defensive defenseman, or right there with Slavin. And we saw he can shoot the puck. I mean, he scored a couple of goals against the Lightning this year, and, and the one he scored last night was, was a terrific shot. And then he put Hockenpah with Shea. Honestly, I felt Hockenpah had, had struggled a little bit in the first two games. I mean, he was out in the ice on the Goodrow goal, which was more in the goalie. But remember, Coleman kind of pushed him off the puck. Goodrow got it. Hockenpah lost point on the power play goal the Lightning scored in game one. So maybe some of it was a function of what Brindamore was seeing in the first two games. Maybe it was the Lightning have the last change. I don't want Bean and Hockenpah together. So I'm going to switch these these two defensemen and and have a more level group of six. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, no, it works. He took Shea, yeah, right, right. who's in his top four, and put him with Hockenpah, 
and he moved Bean, who's a really good offensive defenseman yeah. and, and a high draft pick and a prospect for Carolina, but still, in terms of NHL playoff experience, inexperienced, and put him with a really good defender in Pesci. And that seemed to work for Carolina. But I wonder, too, if some of what we saw from the Lightning in terms of really carrying possession was also a function of that. I mean, that's something that uh, another trial balloon I want to send up here. And maybe when we get to game five back in Raleigh, when Brendan Moore has last change, he's going to switch it up again. I would figure because they won the game last night for game four, he's going to keep the pairings the way they were. But that was an interesting adjustment and an acknowledgement almost from Brendan Moore, whether it was because he was the road team or he's just like, we need more balance among our, our six defensemen. But he did make that move. We've liked Bean, you know. Yeah, this year he's, we've he's liked a Bean. good. He's a very, very talented defenseman. Yes, but and again, I don't think that he's necessarily had his fingerprints on some major defensive mistakes in the series. But Brady Shea has way more experience, both overall experience and playoff experience, than Bean. So who do you want playing with Hockenpah, who's relatively new to the team? He came over from Anaheim at the deadline. I mean, it may be less about Bean and more about Hockenpah in that instance, where he's like, okay, I need I need to put Brady Shea with this with yeah. this player who's new to our team or newer to our team. We'll take a break. We'll come back at Bolts Radio. What are your thoughts coming up for game four? Does Mrazek have another solid game? And what adjustments, if any, does Tampa Bay now have to make now that we've seen Carolina make a, a few personnel adjustments as, as well? It might not be anything, but we'll talk about that when we return. We'll also take some of your tweets. Keep them coming. He's Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Linnelli. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Glad you're with us here on a, what day is it, Dave? Friday? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like the day is just You are man. fully immersed in playoff mode. I'm what immersed. day is today? You yeah. know it's a weekend if, if there's going to be a game at 4 o'clock or 12.30 yes. or... The times have been weird too. They've I mean, been just... they've been jumping all over the place. Yeah. We needed a bingo card for start times for Lightning playoff games. I'm surprised all year. of us have been on time for all of these games. But then again, Dave, yeah. that is our job, and that's why we're professionals in this business. We we don't know if the Lightning sure. are going to advance past the second round, but I think once you get to the conference final, it's pretty consistent that it's eight o'clock yes. if memory serves, unless it's a weekend and they want the game in the afternoon, but. We'll get into the other series as well. Bruins get a win in overtime, 2-1 over the Islanders last night. Also, uh, Mark Shifley suspended, what was it, four games. And yeah. for his hit in their series That's against That's a huge, huge loss for Winnipeg. Do you want to get into that now, or do we want to wait for we that? We can. Let's get into You that always have some topic. very strong and spicy opinions about the Department <laughs> of Player Safety, so I'll let you lead off. I mean, what is, were you, okay, were so you I'm gonna... feeling that that was a warranted... Like, was the four-game suspension so, appropriate and yes, adequate? It's the it's the right question to ask. So I'm going to butcher this analogy, but I'm going to do my best. Have you seen the movie Wedding Crashers? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I can't know, recite it line for line. No, no. I'll, but the scene, do that. the scene where he goes, 
to see uh, Will Ferrell <laughs> at his mom's yes. house. And and Will Ferrell's yelling like, I never know what my mom's doing. I never know what she's doing because he's asking for the meatloaf. <laughs> I feel like with the NHL Players Safety Committee Department, I never know what they're doing. I, I can never I like I can't I couldn't give you a, a legitimate answer as to what I think a worthy suspension was because they've been so inconsistent. So I had no expectations. Like I was fully prepared for Shifley to get a fine. That that's kind of where I am with the NHL Department of Player Safety and their rulings. And I, honestly, I think that's fair. I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to blast them. I just I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what the the penalties should be with a lot of these hits. Um, was it? Let's see. I think Eric might have asked me. No, it was Steve. Steve asked me before really the festivities yesterday. We were asking, he said, "What do you think about Shifley?" And I said, "I just kind of shrugged and I said, I mean." That was, he took a long, long run yeah. at Jake Evans. And I said, that that's awful. But I have no idea what that's going to be suspension-wise, if anything. The well, fact I'll, tell that you, got- I'll tell you what the DOPS takes into account. I think we've been over this before. And you can make the argument that the, the rulings they made do not reflect this. But this is my understanding of what they look at when they make this determination. I think I had said previously there are four components but i'm only remembering three so whatever the fourth is maybe it'll come to me there is the incident itself like taking that in a vacuum right looking at the hit was it a good hit that went wrong at the last second was there i think the fourth might have been intent too but i'll I'll lump that into the hit itself or the play itself so that's one two the history of the player potentially being suspended so that would be an instance where, I don't know, pick a player. You know, if he has, like Nazem Kadri, for example. Yes, yes. He has he has a history, so that factors in. And then the third is the impact of the play. In other words, was the player injured and how severely? If Jake Evans had popped up after that hit, that would have changed the dynamic. Like the hit would have been the same, Right. But if Evans had not been injured and stretchered off the ice, that might have played a role. So we'll say the the hit or the play itself, the suspension history, if there is one, for the player potentially being suspended, and what the effect of the play was on the player who maybe got hurt. And so in this instance, we have clearly a bad hit. Clearly. I mean, like you said, he was accelerating from the red line back. Now, he's trying to prevent an empty net goal. But I saw like a split screen where they showed Shifley back checking on the goal that Nick Suzuki scored. And let's just say that he was going at like less than 50% speed on that back check as opposed to the one with Evans going toward the empty net. So I don't know that the Department of Player Safety looked at that per se, but it was an interesting contrast that here's Suzuki dancing down the wing and scoring a highlight reel goal, and Shifley's kind of going back at 50% speed. And he wasn't the only guy back-checking there, but on the one where Evans was in more of a defenseless position, Shifley is going full speed ahead. I don't believe Shifley has a history, so that may have worked in his favor. But the third part, was Evans injured? Absolutely. 
is Evans out, at least in the short term? Yes. So when you look at four games, I think those are some of the components that that the Department of Player Safety took into account. He left All his skates. That, I mean, or yeah. I, he, he his well, skates left the ice, like he lunged into him. the The hit, I believe, was more in the chest than the head. But charging doesn't have to to do with a hit to the head. It has to do with how fast you're accelerating to hit a player, and was it reckless and was it necessary? I think those are the kind of questions that have to be asked when you're assessing the hit. And let me let me bring in Steve, Steve, because you brought up a good point um, with the analysis of what was it, Anson Carter? Yeah, Anson Carter. Afterwards, uh, the night it happened, I was watching their post game coverage, and he brought up a good point too. He says, if Shifley's exclusively trying to stop a goal, why didn't he poke his stick at his stick as well? The stick was not there. He was it was a hit all the way. That's all he was going for. Because your stick could get to the puck quicker than your body can. I thought that was a pretty valid point because you saw Shifley just decided to run him. And when you watch it, and again, it's it's happening at such a high speed, you don't want to judge too much. But when you slow it down, that is that is true. You didn't you didn't really see Shifley, who's a smart guy, really try and play the puck. His goal, I think, was just to decapitate Jake Evans, and he certainly did that. And, you know, there was a scrum that ensued and, um, you know, Evans is going to be out for a little bit. But um, for I, I guess to answer the question, Dave, four games, I had no expectations going in. So I will say that exceeded my expectations. <laughs> right. And uh, that is a big loss for, you know, it's interesting, a Winnipeg team, Dave, I have always liked over the years. I feel like they're their lineup has been pretty talented. I mean, not only their forwards, we've talked about their back end for quite some time. Now, they've had to make an overhaul there. You talk about some of the guys they've had yeah, on that back end. Their back end is not as strong as it was it's a few not. years ago. It isn't. But I always felt like... Which is why people have talked about Hellebuck and, correct. and how great he has been. Correct. And that is... that They were always the one team out west before kind of Colorado and Vegas started to really perform well. I always felt like had an opportunity to win a Stanley Cup. And similarly, I think, to Nashville, they've just been a team that has not been able to get over that hump because of the roster they've they've had over the years, which has been really deep and I think really solid. So I don't I don't know what to make of them outside of Montreal. Uh, I'm not high on Montreal either, but you know, they're getting some pretty good goaltending and I know a lot of people still like the Jets in that series, but I I couldn't give you a, a solid answer who I think's the best team in that uh, in that series. But Shifley being out, that's a big big blow. And by the yeah, way, the Canadians, he is their he is their, their guy. He is yeah. their number one center. He plays in all situations. And remember, he got hurt last year in the playing round. It was yeah. an early now that that was a three out of five Calgary I think knocked off Winnipeg in four but Shifley was hurt pretty early in that series and Winnipeg missed him you know I can remember I, I'm going to be curious to see it, it may not happen in these playoffs if Shifley has to answer for that hit by dropping the gloves Dave I remember a particular incident and this go this speaks to I think Shifley and captain material and understands the game of Getty Malkin hit him. <clears throat> this was a couple years ago. A hit to the head. 
and uh, knocked him out. And I think Malkin was thrown out of the game. The next time those two teams played, they fought. And you don't see Malkin fight. Big guy, but he's not a fighter. And I, Shifley was interesting afterwards, said, I respect that guy so much for doing what he did. Yeah. It's kind of a weird thing to say. I mean, hockey. That's well, Shifley may, when, when he comes back in, if the series is extended past five games. Yes. And Shifley Correct. can yes, come in for point. game yes. six. He may have to do that. He may have to. Something like that or next that. year, you know, however that yeah. plays or out. Or next it would year, be you're right. To see how that, that plays out. The other series that we're keeping a close eye on, look, they, the, the Golden Knights-Avalanche one, in many ways it's kind of unfortunate those two teams are playing right now. There, there are some people, in addition to the Tampa Bay Lightning, to believe those are the other two best teams in the league. Yeah, and, and we've talked about how Colorado is just like, been the Kool-Aid man, like bursting yeah. through the wall. That's probably not a great analogy because they've they've burst through a few walls. It may Although be. Doesn't you know the Kool-Aid they... man burst through a few walls in some commercials? Right. Anyway, right. they have overwhelmed the opponent at least up until game two. Yes. Vegas pushed back in game two. The shots were pretty significantly lopsided in favor of the Golden Knights. And it came down to just like the game last night between the Lightning and Hurricanes, a power play in overtime, and Miko Rantan scores. So that was the first game for Colorado in this playoff year where it's a little bit of like by hook or by crook. McKinnon didn't have a point until the power play goal in overtime. But you would expect a team as good as Vegas to push back after getting blown out in game one. And they did push back, but Colorado still won. And I think you have said often, Greg, that's the mark of a good team. Like they finally had a game where they weren't clicking on all cylinders. And I'm, I'm speaking a little bit with blinders on here because I didn't watch the game. But just based on the based on the shots, like Colorado got pretty badly outshot in the second and third period by Vegas. So you knew Vegas was making a push. And they still they still got the job done. So now it's a win for the next five for Vegas. They... They have the feel of a team that's ready to, to break through. We've been hearing about Colorado for a couple of years now. The thing that I like about them, it doesn't mean you're always going to win. By the way, they announced for next round, maybe a little ambitious on their part, that they're going to have full capacity at their arena. So that's going to be interesting to Vegas see how that plays out. Um, no, Colorado. I know Vegas. Oh, and Colorado. Yes, Colorado. Okay. I'm looking at their website right now, and they just uh, announced that. Um. Their star players are really, really elite. Yeah. Like McKinnon, you have talked about his wrist shot. We don't get a chance to see him as much as some other superstars the Lightning compete against, and obviously who are on the Lightning team. His combination of speed and explosiveness shooting the puck is elite. He's averaging two points per game in these playoffs. But Landeskog, Rantanen, I mean, Dave, that's... McCarr. Yeah, McCarr Great is... offensive defenseman. Gerard, I mean, that's just the offensive you know, side yeah, of things, I mean, too. They've got, they've got elite. And when I say elite, it's the elites of the elites. I mean, it's not no knock on Sebastian Ajo or Svechnikov. Those are really good players. I don't put them in the same class as guys like Point and Kucherov and guys like McKinnon, you know, Rantanen, and Landeskog. I mean, I think those guys are, are pretty special players. 
I guess the question with Colorado is always going to be, what do you have in net? But Grubauer has proven, I mean, this year He had a good game, too. Yeah, he's I think been they, really, they really gave good. up 41 shots, so he made 39 saves. Yeah. I mean, That's off the been... top of my head. It, it might not have been exactly that, but it was in that ballpark. And, Dave, he's never been a guy that's been a workhorse when you look at his career. But, I mean, he's had he's had enough of a resume that you look at it and say, okay, he's maybe all he needed was an opportunity. And at 29, maybe that's what he's getting right now. I mean, he's playing lights out. So Colorado... In Vegas, well, that is a, a pretty fantastic series for sure. I don't think I'm saying anything new. I, I just I really like Colorado's elite players. I think they're a little more elite than than Vegas's. If that plays out, then so be it. But you get the sense, much like Tampa Bay, I thought last year, just the way they played, this this might be Colorado's time. If they're going to win one, now would be the time to do it. It feels like this is things are coming together for them, and they still have to get by Vegas, who's going to be a really tough yes. matchup, and we'll see how that plays out. But but what are what are impressive. the pundits going to be saying when the winner of the Colorado-Vegas series takes on the winner of the Winnipeg-Montreal series? Do you think there's going to be anybody thinking that North Division team is going to win? Unless something weird happens in the Colorado-Vegas series. like Yeah. You know, it goes seven games into quadruple overtime, and there are a bunch of players that get hurt and can't play. I mean, it just right. seems like these two teams are a cut above what Winnipeg and Montreal are able to. Well, let's face it. To bring basically what you're saying. I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I like where you're headed. Whoever comes out of this series has a golden opportunity to get to the Stanley. It's Cup an finals. opportunity. Uh, you yeah. know, I don't like to make predictions because who knows? Carey Price, if Montreal wins, maybe he just completely steals the series. I mean, we he just may. don't know. That's why they he play may. the games. Oh, but sure. in terms of yeah. roster depth and kind of firing on all cylinders, and right now Colorado has has given itself a tremendous opportunity to win the series against Vegas because they're up 2-0. Like they will be, whether it's them or Vegas, will be a huge favorite to get yep. past the Canadian team. And that's what I mean about opportunities, because sometimes the stars have to align for a team to to win it all. It, it's a tough grind, and sometimes you need a break. Yeah. Not to say the third round would be easy by any stretch. My goodness, we've seen upsets throughout the history of the NHL when it comes to playoffs. That's not the case. But I think it's fair to say whoever comes out of that series between Colorado and Vegas they're going to be the favorite in the next round and I th th there's nothing wrong with saying that whether they win or not that remains to be seen so I think that's been a fun series we'll see how that plays out honestly if you're a lightning fan you you're invested in this series for sure yes but I think you're all also keeping an eye out on those on well those on the Boston Islander series has been a huge battle a grind I mean the and you Bruins... would expect that right so I was I was looking at the box score, and again, shots are, are only one indicator of how a yeah. game is going, but it was in the second half of the second period when I checked, because I think we were into the intermission at that point, because the Lightning game was half an hour behind the Boston game. So it was first intermission, and I, I turned to Phil, and I said, look at this box score. It was one nothing Boston with like seven minutes left in the second period, and I think the Bruins had a total of like eight shots. 
and the Islanders might have had 15. Yeah. Fairly low shot game. And then all of a sudden, the Bruins just like exploded with shots. I mean, they finished with 41. They had 21, they had 21 in the third. shots in the third yeah. period. I mean, they could have extended their lead, and Barzell scored fairly late, under six minutes left to get the game tied. And so that that set up another overtime game. But you get the feeling like the Bruins have been able to flex their muscles at points in the series where they have really tilted the ice. And without having watched the game yesterday, because the Lightning were playing at the same time, based on the shots, whatever it was, like 21 to to 9 or something like that in the third period, Bruins, like they definitely were going for the kill there and couldn't get it done. But then Marchand scores in overtime. And, I mean, it's a it's not a scoring chance spot. So here's... Here's where we talk about scoring chances, okay? Like these websites, I'm going to go off on my my little soapbox here. Because I'm reading every recap, I'm like, scoring chances were this. High danger chances were this. Is this produced from the league? No. It's produced from a website that is, is deciding on its own what is a scoring chance and what isn't. So Brad Marchand wins the game for the Bruins with a shot deep in in the offensive zone along the boards. He's almost at the bottom of the left faceoff circle. He's on his strong side. You would say a shot from that location is not a scoring chance. You know where he put the puck? Into a tiny little spot Yeah. in the upper corner. It's a perfect shot. It's a phenomenal shot. You might say, boy, Semyon Varlamov needs to stop that. I don't know if he can stop it. He goes down in his butterfly... Marshan puts it in in the perfect location. Like if you're gonna say, I'm taking away 98% of the the net that is available to you from the spot you are. Marshan found the two percent. So what do you do with that? Are you calling that a scoring chance? And and does it matter? It's a great shot. Sure. A great shot from a terrific player. And it won the game. So I have a feeling that, you know, if you were to look at that, you would say, well, that's not a scoring chance because he took the shot from where he took it. But great players can make great shots, right? Whereas somebody may be in a prime scoring chance and shoot it right into the goalie's midsection. That is not taking into account that part of it. So I'm not, again, like I'm not anti-analytics. I'm not against this notion that you can gain information from where shots are are originating or you know we talked about the royal road like that's all true but that's not the full picture so anyway marshan just a terrific shot terrific shot well and, and from what i'm reading tuka rask was outstanding in this game even though he faced less shots and i'm still yeah, trying and to i wouldn't f- know that not having no. watched the game ty anderson who we've had on before he covers the bruins for uh, radio station up there, he had mentioned that Rask really came up big. I'm still trying to figure out what Trotz is doing with the goaltending. Yeah, that is weird. With the Islanders, because Sorokin I mean, Brendan Burke started. was on with this yesterday, and he's like, wow, this is what the Islanders do. Yeah, I mean, but Sorokin is a little different cat, I think, than we've seen in previous years where they've had, like, Thomas Grice and some other goaltenders who have been pretty decent. 
Like Sorokin was, I think, the KHL goaltender of the year and had a lot of success over there before he came here and is still relatively young, but he had an outstanding series against the Penguins. He was the difference. He was better than Tristan Jari, who wasn't very good. But Sorokin, there were times where Pittsburgh was skating them off the rink and he was just standing his ground. He loses game one, but that was the game Pasternak had the hat trick. And I'm not sure, you know, I'd have to go back and and watch the film on that, which I'm not going to do. But, you know, that was a situation where they pulled him after pulled him. They, they sat him after game one. Varlamov's been the guy the last two. Yeah. But now the Islanders find themselves down in this series. And I'm Same curious. as they were in the Pittsburgh series. Yeah. And I'm they had a great game four. Game four might have been their best overall game this series, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, I think you can make that case. So I'm curious to see how that's going to play out with the goaltending situation. The goaltending thing still befuddles me. And. Yeah, I was talking I about it with Phil yesterday, Jay Retcher yesterday a little bit, because I, I wanted to, to hear some of their opinions, their takes on it. And I'm just wondering, Dave, if, if it's not as it's not as simple as with two goaltenders during the regular season and, and you hear the excuse that, that coaches give, and maybe it's not an excuse. We want to keep guys fresh. It's a long grind. I don't think we really were having those conversations 10, 15 years ago. I think a lot of teams just don't have a legitimate number one guy. And I think that's that's kind of been the issue. It, it, maybe nobody wants to talk about it, but maybe got teams aren't developing goaltenders as well. Maybe there isn't the elite of the elite when it comes to drafting goaltenders anymore that we've seen over the years. And maybe teams are a little gun-shy selecting goaltenders in the first round. Certainly, look, the Flyers thought Carter Hart was going to be that guy. A lot of hype when he it came to him. He may still be that guy. And he may still be that guy, but certainly yeah. he is not. You know, and, and I think there are a few other guys that fall in that category. But what I'm saying is, I think it speaks more to the lack of legitimate number one goaltenders than it does, well, this is the strategy the NHL is taking now, the league is taking now when it comes to goaltenders in the regular season. We want to split it up because it's a grind. I don't buy that. I think if you have a number one guy, you're going to give him the majority of the starts. I think the fact that we're seeing some playoff teams have two goaltenders and playing them in a series speaks more to you don't have a number one and you're trying to get by with what you have and it may work it may not but until we see i think some stanley cups yeah result in this i think it's a bit more of a problem than it is a solution well there are plenty of teams that that don't ascribe to this though too <laughs> right i mean colorado's going with philip grubauer Yes. There's no question. The Lightning are going with Vasilevsky. There's no question. The Bruins are going with Tuka Rask. No question there. The Jets are going with Hellebuck. The Canadians are going with Carey Price. Mm-hmm. That's and I point. think even though they started Leonard in game one of the Colorado series, I think it's clear that it's Flurry's net. I mean, they did play him in all seven games of the Minnesota series. But isn't that odd, the decision to go to him? Well, that one won. decision was strange. but And again, we'll see if Vegas can extend the series. And, and if if the Golden Knights beat the Avalanche in advance, let's, let's see if Leonard gets another start at some point. But I, I think that there are still, there are still teams that, that lean on the number one guy and, and play, play that player the vast majority of the time, if not all the time. Yeah, and I think all the teams you mentioned 
probably favored. And those are just playoff teams. I mean, those are the ones I'm thinking about that are that are currently in the playoffs. I mean, Edmonton went with Mike Smith yeah. basically all year and throughout that series against Winnipeg. So I, I actually want to close. Let's close with the back bang to here. the Lightning series. Sure. And this is, you know, I'm not one for predictions. I'm not comfortable with predictions. If I try and make a prediction, I feel Dave, like who's going to win game wrong. four? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not predicting that. But I've seen this happen with this particular player before. And we even saw it last night, I think. I think Nikita Kucherov is going to be extremely motivated to dominate game four based on what happened in game three. Kucherov in the second half of the game was as dangerous as he has been to this point in the series. Would yes. you agree with that? I would agree. All right. What happened yeah. in the first half of the game? He took a penalty in the first period. He had a hand in the Pesci goal, not a not a huge hand. I think it was more about the line change issue, but Kucherov had a turnover in the offensive zone. And then Svechnikov, I'm sorry, Aho got behind him on the breakaway. So you're Kucherov, you're thinking all right, I'm minus two. I took a I took a penalty to put my team short. He is he is a very emotional player, but he channels sometimes his anger or frustration or disappointment. He can channel it in a very productive way. And look at the second half of the game that he had. I know he took the penalty in overtime, yeah. but two amazing assists. Elite. And and he was electric last night. So now he comes out of game three, and if you're Kucherov, what are you thinking about? I was minus two. I took two penalties, including the one that led to the the overtime winner. I mean, we saw this as a different situation. Remember when Cooper benched him yes. in that game in the third period and how he responded to that? So that's, that's kind of where I'm going. I don't know if this means that the Lightning are going to win. <laughs> Kucherov may not get a point tomorrow, but I... I think that we've seen enough from him that when he has the sort of game and it wasn't it wasn't all bad last night, certainly not. I mean, he led all lightning players with seven shots. He had two assists. I mean, he could have he could have won the game late in regulation. Mrazik made a great save on him. Let's put it this way. I would not be surprised if Kucherov has a dominant performance tomorrow. And I'll leave it at that. Steve based not- on based on what happened in game three. Steve, this sounds like a promo. This sounds like a promo that we're going to be yeah. running because Dave Michigan is going to be money with this prediction. Well, I, I, like I couched it. it safely there. I just said I would you not did. be surprised. You played it safe, Dave, and I appreciate it. So if we come back it. Monday. Yeah, but we take that out of the promo. You don't hear that. <laughs> That's a great point. That's a great point. Well, partner, it was a great job by you today, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Afternoon game, 4 o'clock, game 4. We'll see if the Lightning go up 3-1. Appreciate it, buddy. Yep. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks to Steve Versnick as well for all his help. Thanks to you for listening. We appreciate it. We'll be with you again tomorrow. Starting at 3, Brian Burns, Kaylee Chelios, Bobby the Chief Taylor with their pregame skate show. I'll have the network pregame at 3.30, and then Dave and Phil on the game call at 4 o'clock. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate it. And be safe out there, and we'll talk to you on Saturday on Lightning Power Play.